warning, the following podcast may cause severe side effects, including but not limited to severe spoiler exposure, millennial opinion insertion, and the perpetual ignorance of common sense. This narrator advises that the listener digest the following as entertainment. The showrunners behind it are neither six-figure filmmakers nor professional critics. They are casually critical. Welcome to Casually Critical, the podcast show starring two friends who love to talk about storytelling in the world of entertainment. I'm your host, Daniel Carpenter. And I'm James Newton, your co-host. Today we will be talking about Hunt for the Wilder People, a film created by Thor Ragnarok director Taika Waititi. Be warned, there will be a discussion of spoilers and everything said on our show is entirely our opinion. And as always, stick around at the end for our feature, Itch to Pitch, and find out how you can get involved as a part of our podcast. Now, let's talk about the movie for today. It's a lesser-known film, to my knowledge. I hadn't heard about it till you told me about it. Yeah, and I hadn't known about it till my parents had showed me. So, hmm. here we are. It's a 2016 movie, as a matter of fact. It's fairly recent, and of course, if you are listening in, uh, there will be discussion of spoilers. Um, this is a great movie. I don't know how else to describe it. It's very down to earth. Um, I love the, the tone that Taika plays with. There's this playful quirkiness almost. It's not like Wes Anderson in many ways. It's not this off-putting quirkiness. There's no eccentricity to it. There's no, No. um, there's no level of dignity uh, in right. these characters, these characters are all very rough and tumble. Yes. Um, very uh, sassy, very quippy. Mm. Um, not long-winded though. Uh, no. It's it's very back and forth. If you've if you've watched Thor Ragnarok, which I'm sure you have, there's a lot mm-hmm. of of back and forth banter um, that goes on in that movie. That's that's really entertaining, and and you catch a lot more of that in this film. Mm. Um, so I think I think uh, Ragnarok was a more tame Taika Waititi film mm-hmm. I think this is a more Taika Waititi unleashed in Hunt for the Wilder People yeah and I really do feel it works though because as you just said the roughness that we feel with these characters really matches the setting of the bush oh yeah and um heck and Ricky and and this journey that they go on throughout this wilderness and as this manhunt ensues um I do want to talk for a moment as we were watching this movie. Um, there were some things that stood out to me, and I do want to talk for a second, if I may, about the proper use of subversion, subverting one's expectations. And there's been a lot of talk recently in the video essay community, a lot of talk just all over, especially when The Last Jedi came out not that long ago, right. about uh, subverting expectations. And then shortly afterwards, Avengers Endgame. Right. Or I guess it was Infinity War was the one that yeah. subverted so many expectations. Right. And I think, I mean, this year alone, 2019, is known as this the year of finales, the year of endings, send-offs. You have Toy Story 4, which came out earlier this year. You have Avengers Endgame, the um, 
not the final film in the Infinity Saga, because that was Spider-Man Far From Home, but it's the capstone, if you will, the, the end piece, the grand finale, right. so to speak. Far From Home is more of an afterthought. Right, an epilogue. epilogue. Yeah. And so, especially with The Last Jedi being an infamous example, I think it's easy to agree, if I'm not mistaken, subverting expectations is not an inherently bad thing to do in your story. Right. But where I'm going with all this is I think... Hunt for the Wilder People is a prime example of doing it well. Mm. Um, a lot of mainstream cinemas these days, at least that I've noticed, with uh, especially The Last Jedi, it's it's easy to pick on. People might give me grief for that. It's easy. Um, there's a lot that Ryan Johnson tried to do with that movie. Without getting too heavily into spoilers, a lot of the twists end up being disappointments. In other words, they turn out to not be as important as you previously thought. Right. What Hunt for the Wilder People does is there is this texture to its subversions right off the bat. And these subversions don't need to manifest themselves in the plot necessarily, plot twists. Hmm. You have the stereotype of Heck, Uncle Heck, who's this old grumpy curmudgeon, doesn't want much to do with anything for this young Ricky. And Ricky, who I expected first to be this young brat who can't stand the wilderness and hates it there but he actually turns out to be quite open-minded to the skucks life as he calls it as being a gangster uh going out with his uncle heck and after establishing a relationship with aunt bella earlier in the film that comes back later and he starts initiating the love for his uncle even though his uncle doesn't return it right away so just something I noticed there right off the bat. The character dynamics, they subvert our expectations almost immediately before the movies even really started to get into its main plot. And I think that's just something that um, Taika does well and this movie does well. It seems to me that almost every character, every primary character in this film is subversive in some way, in a shockingly pleasant way. Um, you know, Ricky has this soft side, even though he's this so-called 13-year-old gangster um, who's known for kicking stuff, burning stuff, running away, <laughs> spitting, uh, loitering. That. His uncle uh, also has a soft side um, that's, that's not expected, and that's really what draws them together is the soft side that they have for, mm. for Bella. Um, Bella herself, uh, in the scenes that she has, she is surprisingly tough and also surprisingly tender in, in ways that, that people don't expect. You know, she stabs a, a wild boar to death. Oh, yeah. Fights and wrestles it to the ground. And, you know, she she's also very, um, she's very forgiving and very kind and mm-hmm. um, actually very wise. She comes off as initially this sort of just happy-go-lucky, like, mm-hmm. kind of soccer mom, I suppose. Yeah. But as... This really rough redneck almost. right. Yeah. Soccer mom. But as it goes, uh, we sort of realize she has this, this softness, this patience for Ricky, and mm-hmm. there's backstory to that, and that her and um, Heck never really belonged anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. And that's why she wants to create a home for someone like Ricky who never really belonged anywhere either. Mm-hmm. And there's an ongoing theme about belonging going on in this movie yeah. um, and constantly moving and um, finally deciding to settle. But um, we can talk about that more later. Sure. Well, we can talk about it right now. Give okay. me more, some more detail. Talk yeah. to us more about this theme of belonging that you saw throughout the film and its characters, perhaps the world that's developed throughout the story. Yeah, okay. Um, I think it's just primarily in the in these three characters that I was just talking about. Um, 
it seems to me that uh, Ricky is always um, feeling obligated to move, um, to keep running, to keep moving. He's been bounced around from foster home to foster home, and mm-hmm. so it's just instinctual for him to see a change of scenery. Um, and, uh, yeah, even whenever he seems comfortable um, in this home uh, with with Bella, um, he still runs away, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, as long as he's back for breakfast, that is, right. the next morning, uh, which is such a sweet scene. It's um, amazing. Uh, but, and as the movie goes on, there's still this continual theme of, of moving along and moving forwards and running, and it's only whenever they finally give up the running and decide to rest that they really finally, they finally get to be a true family again mm-hmm. after, after everything settles down, after all the dust settles yeah. Um, I guess both of them sort of learn to stop running um, from the reality that Bella mm. is dead and stop running from the fact that um, they can't really be a complete family without her. Mm. And whenever everything sort of finally settles down, they can look back on their journey and say, wow, um, we became a really close pair and we really enjoyed our time together. Let's mm. continue this family that we have. Right. I think Taika does a great job of making it. Uh, Taika Watiti, who, might I add, is the director and writer for this project. Um, I, I, I would not, I don't think it would be too far of a stretch to call this perhaps a passion project. I feel there's a lot of love put into this. Yes. He also plays the minister in a very goofy scene, which might just be one of the most ridiculous cameos of all time. Great cameo. But a <laughs> legend nonetheless. Um yeah, I, I totally see that same theme of belonging, not just in Ricky, but also in his uncle, mm-hmm. Heck, who really found his sense of belonging in his wife, Bella. She was the only one he knew that loved him. And in Ricky, it's a love that doesn't come to him quite as naturally. It's a different kind of love. He has to find it. He has to strive for it. He has to perhaps, dare I say, make himself more uncomfortable to get mm-hmm. it. But he does find it in the end, and it's a, such a beautiful thing. Um, one thing uh, that I've heard distinguishes a professional composer in music versus someone that's more amateur is a professional composer, one that writes music, knows when to make the orchestra quiet and then when to let loose and make it bombastic and, and royal and mm. loud. Yeah. And I think Taika does that with this movie. Uh, and what triggered that for me is when you were talking about stillness, the quiet, developing character. What I just noticed is it's very much like a pendulum. There's a lot of movement and there's a lot of stillness briefly. And in the stillness, that's when Taika goes deep into the character. When there's movement, that's when Taika goes deep into the world building and the story-driven plot. And the punchy humor. Oh, yes, the punchy humor. But then there are times to breathe. And in those breaths, the humor doesn't really call as much attention to itself um right. there's a scene they go to psycho sam towards the end of the movie psycho sam uh reese darby he ridiculous ridiculous character we're big psycho sam friends yes. here at uh <laughs> casually critical we love psycho sam we love psycho sam psycho sam if you're listening in i can't guarantee the government isn't tracking us but we love you man we love you and your buggy eyes <laughs> You gotta love him. He is the most, uh, he's the meme that 2016 never found. Um, there's, I mean, I could list a bunch of scenes. There's a scene when Ricky goes to um, 
the house of that girl and her dad uh, to rest and be with them. There's some humor there, but it's not the big centerpiece of it. The action right. isn't as big, and therefore the humor isn't as big. It's more about Ricky, and we learn about his mom, and we learn more about the girl and her dad just a little bit. Mm-hmm. But it's all about, really, Ricky, because he's the one we've cared about throughout this entire movie. And then when he's with Heck later at Psycho Sam's place, they meet him, sure, they meet Psycho Sam, he's ridiculous, but then uh, Taika, even though Psycho Sam's in the same scene as them, he's in bed nearby, Psycho Sam gets a little break, and we focus on the conversation that develops between them as Ricky writes that haiku with Heck in it. Mm -hmm. Um, And another thing I've noticed while I'm on this tangent, um, there's a lot of great uh, emotion that's built just with the dialogue. And I've noticed that some of the most powerful scenes rarely, if ever, use music to help us feel like, oh, they're bonding now. You know, there's no inspirational, whimsical kind of theme that plays where it's like, oh, that must mean they're getting closer and it's working. Um, Like you said earlier, Aunt Bella um, saying, hey, you know what? Eat breakfast and then you can run away later. And then fast forward to when he's with Uncle Heck in there. He says he admits that Ricky is a likable person, which is huge. Yeah. Anyway, stuff like that that really feel the passion behind this film and you just can't help but appreciate it. And it's, it's certainly an acquired taste, I will say that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a quirky, quirky movie, and, but I, I just love, I love the boldness of it. I love um, Taika Waititi's willingness to say, this is my style, this is the kind of music I put in my movies, this is how I shoot my movies, this is how I write my movies, yeah. and you're going to deal with it. <laughs> and that is what this movie is. It's just Taika Waititi Unleashed. I haven't seen What We Do in the Shadows, but um, I'm not entirely sure... Uh, if there's as much boldness in that one, it's about vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, this one is about New Zealand. It's about the people of New Zealand. It's about the bush of New Zealand. This is Taika Waititi's home. Mm-hmm. This is his playground. Um, so I'm really getting the sense of this being a love letter to New Zealand, the people mm-hmm. of New Zealand, the bush. Um, there's all kinds of fun things. And I don't know a thing about New Zealand. And yeah. I didn't. And now I know, I mean, a little bit. It's a very interesting country. and um, You said something about the music. Yeah. Um, what did you think about it? This does have a very unique soundtrack. Yeah. There are some custom songs in here. Oh, yeah. How do you think that played to the overall movie? Uh, well, you mentioned earlier that music is not really utilized to, um, to punctuate emotional moments. Or manipulate the audience. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Yeah. It's not like, oh, the music swells, so that means I should feel this way. <laughs> but instead it's like, oh, okay, we're moving to the next scene. Oh, there's a montage coming up. Okay, let's get yeah. some synthesized 80s beats going. Yeah, right. It's like, and you just get moving, and you're like, okay, like we're, we're transitioning to something new. Like there's a change of scenery now. Oh, yes. And there's also these great little chapter title bumpers um, because this is based off the book, uh, what is it, Wild Pork and Watercress, mm-hmm. there are chapter titles um, included within the movie. I believe there are chen- ten chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's a lot of different things that sort of um, separates out this movie with, with these different songs and um, with these titles. Um, there's a large, there's a very diverse amount of things that happens within this movie. Mm-hmm. It's kind of 
I don't want to say it's all over the place because it's all part of one journey, but it's yeah. sort of an odyssey in some ways with the weird people they meet, the weird things that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the wild boar attack, the huntsman in the the, the lodge, um, the horseback riding girl and her dad, yeah. Psycho Sam. You know, there's mm-hmm. just little little tangents that happen. And so it's nice to have things like music and title cards to break it up. Right. And there's such a risk involved with that. I don't think a lot of people realize this, but I have, granted it's not that common, uh, especially anymore, but it's so hard to even make a title that doesn't either A, give away what's going to happen next, or B, add anything to the narrative. And the, the chapters used in these, and I don't, for the life of me, have all of them memorized. Number Chapter 1 is called The Real Bad Egg. Chapter 10, I think, is called War. And then the one before that, Turn of the Tide. There's, there's chapters that make you think a certain way when that is presented. Mm-hmm. That helps frame your thoughts for what's coming up. So Chapter 1, A Real Bad Egg. We don't know much about Ricky at all. We just know what he's been called, which is A Real Bad Egg. And then she goes into all the crimes, right. you know, however minor they may be, that he's committed. And um, it's it helps us uh, have this stereotype of Ricky at first, he's this expectation of, well, I don't really know what to think of this guy. And we see how these characters interact. But it doesn't give away anything, like Meet Ricky. Or later on, the one where... Uncle Heck gets shot at the end, or whatever. Right. You know, it's it's not, it it doesn't give away anything. If anything, it builds intrigue. And might I go further and say that when you're writing, you want to create a new paragraph when you introduce a new topic, a new idea, when a new character is speaking. Mm-hmm. And this feels as close to a visual representation of a paragraph that I can find, mm. where it you see it and there's something mental about it when you read it that makes you refocus. Say, okay. We're continuing the story, but this is a new chapter. So it, it feels, I don't want to say that it makes it feel like several short stories, but it really helps break it up. It's not just this massive emotional roller coaster. There are certain segments that we should focus on and bring our attention to, and mm-hmm. those chapters help do that. So perhaps we should look at some reviews then. Yeah. What have people talked about with this movie? Um, I don't know if you want to... Share one of the ones that we've got here. Yeah, sure. I'll go ahead and uh, check out this first one we have okay. uh, under the lens here. Uh, this one is titled uh, Bad Taste. Mm. Um, and this portion that I highlighted here says, New Zealand is a beautiful country and makes for nice viewing. It's just a shame the characters don't measure up to the same level. Not all New Zealanders are this coarse, but I guess this is how the world will think of the people. It's time for New Zealand. It's time New Zealand made a de- decent movie without violence and the usual trash talk and put downs. Hmm. New Zealanders, please make something noble and uplifting. My first question for this reviewer is: Define noble and uplifting. What is your quintessential movie of the year that is all of that? How can we best encapsulate all of New Zealand in one movie? Is that what you want us to do? I think that's what they want. <laughs> Daniel, we're going to have to go and do that. Yeah, right. No pressure. Yeah. I will say, though, uh, what's her username? Truthquee? Um, This movie is one of the most idiosyncratic films I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. Not just because of its tone, not just because of its unique music incorporating 80 cents into a mostly uh, rural and tribal kind of wildlife-based film. Yeah. But on top of that... 
It has dialogue that's exclusively this movie. Certain slang, and granted I haven't seen many New Zealand films, but majestical, skuck's life, haikus in a New Zealand film about these guys toughing it out in the bush. You have this musical score, these characters, this setting, these camera shots. One is like a large pan, and you see multiple char- the same character in multiple locations. It's a great way to use a montage in a one-shot. Yeah. There's so much that this movie does and does so uniquely. There is no way you can possibly think of this as something shameful or something that doesn't really represent, if not New Zealand, then the director that's from it. The director that has told the story with the setting. I just... I don't know. It's hard for me to, I guess, see where this guy's coming from. Yeah. I, I think one thing that this person is trying to touch on is that there's a bunch of sweeping panoramic shots of New Zealand landscape. Mm-hmm. And I guess this guy sort of felt there was a dissonance between these beautiful sweeping landscapes and this character running around with a Tupac jacket uh, <laughs> and this gruff old English guy. You know, yeah. running around in the bush. I don't know. <laughs> There's a juxtaposition there, and I think it's an intentional juxtaposition hmm. um, that I really enjoy. How so? What makes you think that this is intentional? What do you think Tycho is trying to do with this? Um, well, one thing is that he clearly really loves the way New Zealand looks. Mm-hmm. And there's a beauty in it. But also, that's from the sky view. There's this bush, and this is all my interpretation, right? Mm-hmm. There's this bush, and it's really beautiful. You fly over these mountains. There's hills and valleys, mm-hmm. but in like on the ground level, it's a mess. There's vines. There's tangling, tangling plants. There's wild boars running around rampant, mm-hmm. um, and like this is a chaotic, hectic movie. And like right. if you had just flown right over this, the whole side of the movie, you know, which is probably what some of these helicopter shots were doing, you wouldn't even know what was going on. And I think that that's what this movie is. Right. There's there's this uh, tasteful irreverence yes. that the film has throughout it. Yeah. And I don't really know how to describe it more than that. There are scenes, and if, if I were to tell you loosely some scenes in this movie, it would sound like it is this anti-establishment film or this incredibly just against everything and anything like much uh, American cartoon shows nowadays yeah. that are for adults where just, you know, let's not offend anyone by insulting everyone kind of deal. Right. There's a scene with a minister who Taika portrays. There's a scene with this psychotic anti-government guy right. in the woods. There's, there's, there's a scene of these colonizing hunters that yeah. barge in and are probably half drunk and, yeah. you know. Super judgmental. Yep. And aggressive. Stuck to the nines with guns and knives and bullets. Yeah. And it's, I don't know how Taika does it. And it's super hard, even on this podcast, for me to really find the words to describe it. It's not offensive. No. But it isn't a shallow reverence for it either. It's this retooling of stuff we already know, mm-hmm. as we just talked about with subverting expectations. But it's this retooling used in a way to make the experience of the film and this world and these characters feel not only 
different but fresh and something we haven't seen before a special contribution if you will and it it sort of gives off this you know in spite of some of the weird subject matter at hand here um, all the suspicions of of heck being a an abusive um, foster parent right and the some of the blood and gore uh, involved in fighting these wild boars out there in the bush um, it still gives off this family movie vibe in some places yeah. um, because at the end of the day it's this odyssey of an old stubborn old man and a little kid bonding mm-hmm. out in the wild you know and there's a certain animated film that I think mm. about sometimes um, oh, yes. whenever I think about a stubborn old man and a little kid bonding in the wild. <laughs> but this is very, very different from that. Yeah, there's this review we have. It's from Time Out London. It's by Tom Huddleston, not Hiddleston. <laughs> um, he says, and I'll just go over this really quickly. Taika Watiti rambles into sort of family movie territory in this massively endearing road movie on foot. There's a strong whiff of up, like you just said, in its story about a chubby boy and an old man setting off on a jungle adventure. And indeed, this might be the best kids movie since Pixar's masterpiece, with a spot of bad language and several jokes about perverts thrown in. <laughs> now, I, I will say, um, I agree with a lot I, uh, that this review says. I think there's a lot of wording that he uses that it's, it seems very appropriate. Um, I don't know if this is the best kids movie since Up, though. No. Because you know what came after Up? Toy Story 3 the following year. You know what right. came out in 2014? Inside Out. So Let's talk about How to Train Your Dragon 2. Let's talk about How to Train Your Dragon 3 while we're at it. Yeah. Let's just let's just create a whole melting pot, James. Yep. Let's make a whole... We could go on and on and on. I don't know how many kids' movies, in quotations, <laughs> this guy has watched. I don't know. But this movie certainly fits into a different category than just a kids' yeah. movie as well. It's not a kids' movie. No. You get that feeling sometimes, and in on paper... You might think that's what it is, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's not. It's something else. How does one define a kid's movie? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. It's, I think that's a question we'll leave for you guys, huh? Because this is a conversation between three people. Those of you listening, we would consider the third wheel to our conversation, but you are a wheel nonetheless. So are we on a date? Is that what this is? You know what? I... I'm just here. To you know, we talk had about several me. talks after the last episode recording. Do That's we need right. to have another one after this? Is let's, that what's going on? Let's have another talk, James. Okay. Let's have a cue. Are we gonna find? <laughs> let's just let's just have a list. Are we'll we have gonna a finally list. iron some things out about us? I think it's about dang time. Okay, good, yes. good. <clears throat> anyway, well, <clears throat> we got some ratings here. Metascore gives it an 81 out of 100. How do you feel about that, let's James? Do, let's distract each other with the ratings. Ooh, here's a Metascore. <laughs> Critic yeah, score. that's what I'm doing. Come on. Okay, an interesting thing you guys should know about this Metacritic score. 81 out of 100. That sounds, you know, B level. Though keep in mind, there were 30 reviews that gave this an 81. So an 81 out of an average of 30 reviews. 28 of those were positive. And only two were mixed. Zero were negative. So two out of 28 were mixed. And that gives it an 81. Which is why, to some degree, at the risk of... No, I won't get on a soapbox. <laughs> but there's sometimes where I, I just... I, I look at the way Rotten Tomatoes 
in Metacritic and even IMDb, their users can kind of rate and they rate and score movies to the point where I I think, not that the whole system is flawed and we should totally destroy it and start over, but I really, I can't help but think that it could be improved marginally. It's so hard to make judgment, like don't make judgments based on these ratings because Mm -hmm. they don't, they don't mean anything like right take a look at our last episode about glass i'm pretty sure the meta score rating on glass is like a 48 or something yeah that sounds about right it was in its 40s yeah 48 out of 100 that is not that's not a passing grade no but there's i feel that these days at the risk of generalizing some of you a lot of people look for in movies something flashy something very visually arresting, uh, a story that may not be necessarily meticulously crafted, but a story that is just as, if not more, flashy and big and large scale. And where's the star power? Give me Chris Pratt. Give me a Chris. Give me a Pine. Exactly. Give me an Evans. Give me some hotshot that, you know, is good looking and is charismatic. Right. There is no hotshot in this movie. Right. No, none of these characters you would see on a poster for, like, for Magic Mike. No. No, you wouldn't. Magic Mike 3. Right. Triple X. And perhaps that's the point, come to think of it. Oh. There's a lot of different... This movie is... I would say this movie is about beauty. Hmm. But you don't find it in the places you expect. You may find it in the church. But the church doesn't provide that for them in the context of this story. You may find it in... Uh, a good-looking woman, but none of the women in the story are used for romantic purposes. You may make a case for the younger girl, but that's kind of a weird gray area that I'm still trying to figure out yeah. how Taika portrayed that. It's comical, but Aunt Bella, she's not, in the American sense at least, a good-looking model-grade woman. And even in personality, there's initially there's not really oh there's this roughness yeah and it comes across as insensitive and downright offensive yeah she calls ricky fat a few times like guess you ate all the pies and <laughs> you're, you're the kid that you're the kid that ate all the pies aren't weren't you <laughs> sorry good Apologizes. old aunt bella and but as we get to know more of her we see what makes her truly beautiful she cares for people she serves others and when ricky treats her he doesn't treat her like crap he just he's just a wall he's just a living brick wall and it's it seems impossible to ever get this brick wall to lower its defenses Mm -hmm. and she lowers his defenses not by lowering his defenses but keeping him around she says you know what you're i'm fine if you run off but have some breakfast first because she wants to love on him because she wants to do this for him and then later on her love even though Ricky is not the most expressive and neither is Uncle Heck, it makes such a marginal impact on Ricky that I think his most understated character development comes towards the beginning of the film when he goes from being this wall towards trying to provide and love on Uncle Heck throughout the entire rest of the film. Right, because he sees this behavior that was modeled by Bella, who is clearly the most impactful person in his life, and he says, mm-hmm. I want to be her, so I'm going to yeah. cook this dinner for Uncle Heck. Yeah. And he winds up just giving him burnt toast, of course, because right. he's a 12-year-old, exactly. 13-year-old. but Young boy. Yeah, that and is definitely a very significant development. Um, that's a good. That's a very good point. Yeah, and then to conclude my point, there's just a lot of the more obvious ones are like physical 
external beauty. Obviously, as we touched on the New Zealand shots, Taika loves this landscape. He knows how to use it well in his movie. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, there's a bird that Uncle Heck and, and Ricky find, and they're in awe of this bird. And yeah, they want it perhaps for the fame, for the money, but capturing this thing, even on a photograph, to show to the world and bring it back into the world, much like what Aunt Bella did to them. These people that came from places in society that had rejected them or marginalized them, made them cast aside, and she wanted to... Nah, I don't want to say capture them, because that really sounds messed up, but to treasure them and to perhaps in the process get them to treasure themselves. Mm. So perhaps you could portray Hunt for the Wilder People as the strangest movie on beauty you've ever seen. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. It's definitely a strange movie, Mm. for sure. Um, So, speaking of strange... Yes. We've talked about a lot of strengths of this movie. Mm. Um, What are some ways that the film could be better? Yeah. um, I think there are some... I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is not really perhaps a narrative critique. There's the scene where um, Ricky is going into um, try and get some help because there's a diabetic ranger who has some health episode and he's dying and needs assistance. Right. Ricky tries to find help, find civilization, but there's this girl he finds and her dad. Um, Every scene and this is just storytelling 101, you need every scene should further the plot or develop the character. And I do think Ricky's developed a little bit. I just, I feel that if I could take all the scenes in the movie, the scene that he spends in the girl's house with her and her dad could have used some more juicing up. I'm not saying completely reboot the girl's character or her dad's character or that environment of the world, but perhaps somehow add some significance to the conversation that her and Ricky have. Um, I don't know. I, I don't have any specific examples right now. Yeah. I'm drawing a blank as to how you could improve on that. Maybe you can't. I don't know. I just I feel that there is some narrative empty space. Yeah. It seemed like just a way to spit off a bunch of one-liners Yeah. Um, in some way. But also... Um, if we're following the theme of beauty, I think mm-hmm. um, this was another instance where Ricky perceived beauty, but not in not in a mother figure, but in someone his age. Perhaps, um, yes. So that was definitely something, and I think that's probably what you were talking about whenever you were referring to minor development of Ricky. Sure. But there was a lot of just, there was a lot of wasted space and time. Not that it wasn't mm-hmm. enjoyable, Yeah. but um, there was not a whole lot of, what would you call it? Um, scene economy? What is it? What would you call it? I think scene economy works narrative yeah. economy. Narrative economy. Yes. Yeah. Capitalizing on the scenes that you have and using them for multiple purposes. Yes. That did not happen. Yes. This. I agree. And come to think of it, another thing I think this movie could have done better on is perhaps one of the more trickier things that it tries to do. In the final chapter, which isn't a chapter, it's called epilogue because it's an epilogue. Um, when Heck and Ricky have their reconciliation. Yes. Which takes one scene. Uh, I hesitate to lay down this critique because I know it's hard. As a storyteller, you really have to make the conflict believable mm-hmm. and make the words these characters say to each other painful, 
when they're in the heat of the moment. And these are people that can be caught up in the heat of the moment. And they, their anger, they can feed off each other's anger, become really angry at each other, as we see countless times in the movie. Right. But something tells me there could have been a lot more done than just simply they have a conversation after they've had a chance to cool down and walk it off. That is to say, I don't think the scene was bad. I think it was semi-believable. I just feel there could have been more effort done to make it more believable. One way you could utilize this, this is a more basic storytelling technique, but you could do it in the form of something physical. As in, when Aunt Bella, uh, she had that relationship with Ricky, she gave him this warm kind of water sack that he could have under his pillow. Right. And he carried that wherever he went. Not because necessarily it's the best thing in the world, even though it made his life more convenient, Mm -hmm. but it reminded him of her. And it was warm, just like her hugs and her personality. And there's a small scene. It is played for laughs, but he tries, um, when he runs away into the bush, he tries holding it over a fire, and it melts and actually bursts water everywhere. Um, And he's disappointed. Mm -hmm. But... It's very significant because that represented to him Bella, and it right. rubs in the salt in the wound that she's dead, she's gone. Mm-hmm. So none of these scenes don't work in this movie, but I think some scenes could have worked a lot better, mm-hmm. or there could have been more care in the direction or the density of narrative significance. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say in terms of improvements. How about you? No, I totally agree with all of those thoughts. Um, I'm trying to think of something else about it. I really enjoyed it. It's a hard thing to tackle from a traditional story standpoint. Yes, because it's so different. It is. And there's a lot of things I can't help but, as we talked about, just admire. Yeah. I think just because the way all the characters subvert, subvert everything, I can't really in my mind, put them in boxes and say, oh, this character was written wrong because usually a character that fulfills this role does this and this and this in a a good movie. But this is nothing like Mm -hmm. most movies that I've seen. So I think what you were saying about there were some emotional beats that could have been better. Um, I think giving people more time to be still there, there are lots of good times where there is stillness and there is quiet, and that's good. Um, but filling those with more purpose, um, I think, is something that definitely could be done. Um, like you said, with the, with the water bag, um, that could have been a more recurring thing instead of being played off for laughs, like you said. Sure. I think it's time we look at your itch to pitch. All right. So if you guys have not listened to us before, itch to pitch is a feature where you send in your movie ideas and we sort of give some feedback on them. Um, The one requirement is that they have to be one sentence long and no run-ons and they are selected at our own discretion. Um, So you can send these requests to us through the casually critical podcast email which is casually critical podcast at gmail.com or through direct messages on our instagram at casually critical podcast so let's go ahead and take a look at some of your ideas yes let's i'm excited to see what the lineup is for today so once again we have some friends that we phoned in here mm. um 
because no one has really submitted anything yet because we're recording all of these things in two yes. nights. So um, <laughs> please shoot in as many submissions as you as you would like. Um, mm-hmm. We we would love to hear from you. But sure. for now, thank you, friends. Thank you, guys. So I'll I'll take the first one. Um, I'll just kind of dive in here. We've got one from uh, Jonathan. He's from Indiana. So his film proposal is this: Silent Punch. In a world full of fighting anime characters, insert Japanese name, realizes he can take his opponents by surprise if he stops calling his attacks, and this new strategy quickly makes him the most powerful fighter in the world. Love that. I think some of the greatest ideas are the most simple. Oh, yeah. And this is a very good example of that. A fighter that doesn't call out what he's going to do, and just simply doing that makes him incredibly powerful. So, for those of you that are not into Japanese animation, in a lot of shonen anime, which is a style of anime that appeals to younger boys, um, usually ranging from like 9 years old to 15 years old, Hmm. um, there's a lot of fighting going on, and there's a lot of power systems and fighting. um, And within those, there are attacks, and people call their attacks before they use them. And people explain their attacks and talk about how they work. And there's lots of in-depth explanations about how powerful they are and what this move specifically does, harnessing the special energy system within the world. And so I think this is just such a clever take on um, sort of calling the anime tropes bluff and saying, no, how about we don't call out our attacks? Right. I think this is a good example, too, uh, not to read too much into this, but how one idea, how a story can really also influence the tone you're going for. I mean, Wilder People had a very distinct tone, and I think a lot of that had to do with the interesting story and characters and world that was in this. With this idea, you have, um, there's a lot of tongue-in-cheek I see going on here that's at play. You have, um, the whole plot is based on this, the lack of a trope in this world. And the fact that that trope no longer exists for this one character, that rule no longer applies, suddenly changes this world. And so I feel you could lose a lot if you took this too seriously. And I feel I'm repeating myself mm-hmm. from the Rock'em Sock'em suggestion from yes. last episode, but I think it applies as well. You have to know how to play your cards with this. And I see just a lot of potential for a tongue-in-cheek kind of humor that mm-hmm. pervades this mm-hmm. uh, whether the characters know it's ironic or not what they're right. saying but i just <laughs> this would be a fun thing to see and i think there's a great appeal to this too to um some different audiences um because this this um this silent punch prompt sort of deconstructs anime tropes and says without this trope you're nothing mm-hmm <laughs> which is almost spitting in the eye of anime, but at the same time, this takes place in an anime world, and it's all about fighting and becoming the most powerful fighter in the world, which is still an anime genre story. It's amazing. So it's being reverent to the anime genre and yet irreverent at the same time, in the same way One Punch Man uh, was reverent and irreverent, and so it attracted so many people that didn't like anime, Mm -hmm. and it also attracted the anime fans. Perhaps, since you were so vocal earlier on what this type of anime is about, I should make it pretty clear for those of you listening, I know pretty much nothing about anime, 
in regards to how it's typically done. <laughs> I'm not uh, a person that is particularly an anime fan, though I have seen some anime. I've seen uh, the first two seasons of Attack on Titan. I have seen not much else. <laughs> That's pretty much it, if I remember correctly. That's, that is it. That yeah. is my education, or lack thereof, mm-hmm. of the anime genre. Um, there were a few times during college, actually, where a friend of ours would run this uh, anime club, and we would see bits and pieces. So I have seen various episodes from various shows. Um, bless his soul. Yes, bless his soul. So anime is a very niche genre, but I feel, Jonathan, that your idea has a lot of potential. If I may nitpick one thing, and that would be the title of this, Silent Punch. I see where you're going here. It's a nice parody of One Punch. At least I hope that's what you're going for. Maybe it's a sincere idea. But I do fear that a lot of people could confuse it with One Punch, or maybe not take it as seriously, seeing it as more of a parody show instead of a legitimate thing. Mm. Whether or not that's something you were going for, I don't know. But may I suggest to you something along the lines of uh, Quiet Fist, or something like that. (laughs) The Mute Hand. Who knows? You know, there's... I think you could have a field day, Jonathan, just coming up with dozens of different possible titles for this show yeah those are my two cents okay fair you want to move on to the next idea yeah i'll go ahead and read this one this one's from linnea from michigan okay uh called the last paw troll ah oh gosh here we go john (laughs) cena teams up with the paw patrol in the buddy cop comedy of the year rated r Okay, see that last thing, rated R, really throws me in for a loop. Yep. Because the thing that sends chills down my spine, Linnea, is if you take away the rated R thing, I see this as a legitimate possibility. I see this as a live-action Sonic <laughs> I see kind of a... vibe. <laughs> yes, I think <clears throat> you'd have to go one route or the other. If you want to go the 90s, uh, especially... Late nineties, early thousands route, then you could make John Cena animated, an animated likeness of John Cena, voiced by John Cena, mm. and then do a episode where he's just a supportive friend to the uh Paw Patrol in a special episode or whatever. Right. Although sadly the 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 more common way to go nowadays seems to be uh bringing the characters into John Cena's world to make them live action, which is a line very few have managed to cross. Um, Successfully. I know we haven't talked about Detective Pikachu yet, but I will say about that movie, that's one thing it does pretty darn well, is it takes these Pokemon, who might seem creepy, and makes them realistic just enough to make it believable that they're in a real world. However, they don't look creepy. And they still retain that cartoonish quirkiness that Pokemon have. God bless the R&D department, the concept art people for that. Very well done. Very well done. Okay. Well, I think we can move on to the last idea. Um, Sorry, sorry, Linnea. Uh, We didn't talk about your idea much. I just think it's it's an idea. That's interesting. Shoot us another one. All right. This one is also from Jonathan from Indiana. Jonathan, you're just a churning, burning machine. You should do this for a full-time job. I think that's what he uh, wants to do. You and uh, and Jacob from our last episode. Mm. You guys should get together sometime. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe they'd be good together. Uh, So this idea is, uh, let's see. Ooh, it's in German. Mein, uh, I'm not good with German. Etzion. Mein Etzion. 
which means my education in German. For those of you who take German, and if my pronunciation is off, you can blame Google Translate for that one. Here's the idea. A man has the opportunity to travel back to any time in the past of his choosing, so he decides to go find and kidnap baby Hitler and raise him to be a better person, but he miscalculates and brings back 20-year-old Hitler instead. Oh, Dumpkoff. Now, my one, question, my one question... Dingus in German. <laughs> that was awesome. Thank you. My one question, Jonathan, regarding the actual uh, pitch you chose is, how does one miscalculate and bring back Hitler? Does he have this time machine that can zap people to his time? Hmm. So if he just inputs Hitler, maybe he accidentally elbows the date modulator and it accidentally jacks up the date to two decades. But I do like the idea... (laughs) Oh, I'm yeah. I'm very curious to know how this would be portrayed. Is this a live action? Is this uh, an anime style, more extreme style? Is this well anime inspired, uh, or is this 3D, 2D? I don't know. Sign language. <laughs> yes, it's just a film of hands and hand sounds the, gesturing the, furiously the boom mic is very very close to the hand so you can hear the fingers like rubbing together and stuff mm, as yes. they move and communicate in asl anyway amazing i love I... this prompt love this this is so interesting and it it answers uh, it doesn't answer all those questions but it raises all mm. the questions again and digs them out of your um, amateur philosophy club um <laughs> about what about baby Hitler's go back yeah, if and then I just kill Hitler. Jonathan's just like, screw you guys, you can't do that. How about 20-year-old Hitler? How about angsty? The one no one remembers. It's the one society's yeah. abandoned. Hitler that's a sophomore in college. What do you do then? Like an angsty German team. <laughs> no one understands me. You know? you know, he did start as a um, studying ministry. Did you know that? Plot twist. Yes. and Who then. Knows? And then, um, Art, I believe, I think. painting. Yes. yes. Okay, so Hitler becomes a filmmaker and rivals Walt Disney. Who knows? Yeah, sure. Why not? <laughs> well, I think it's a great idea, Jonathan. Uh, the one question I would say, or the one thing, the one point of reference that you should be wary of with this idea is, uh, how far down the rabbit hole do you want to go? And what I mean by that is not just the usual uh, headache that can be caused from time travel in movies, uh, the consistencies or inconsistencies of such, mm-hmm. but also if time travel is a legitimate possibility in this universe, then do they want to bring other historical figures over to try and babysit Hitler? Is this a lone teen who doesn't want anyone to find out he has a time machine? Mm-hmm. And so... He can use the time machine, but no one else can because no one else knows about it. Is this a... Uh, well, you say on here a man has the opportunity to travel back. So maybe there's a wish that's granted to him. Maybe someone else gets a wish to kill baby Hitler and the man's grown attached to 20-year-old Hitler and so they have to work together to stop the person from killing baby Hitler Right. who was stopped by 20-year-old Hitler. I don't know. Maybe 20-year-old Hitler... Maybe this is like Endgame where you don't change the future... You can just create alternate dimensions in the past. <laughs> so what if this Hitler reads the history books and has this existential moment where right. he... What happens? Does he become worse? Does he become 
better? There's a lot of questions you can... There's all kinds of things you could do, and there's all kinds of controversial tiptoeing you could do, too. Oh, absolutely. With Hitler. You know, fortunately, none of us have to answer any of these questions yes. for you Thank on this you podcast. So and there's another thing that you could do, Jonathan. There's mm. another totally different direction you could go. You could just go the sitcom route and mm. make it like Mork and Mindy, where it's like, oh, Hitler. <laughs> and he's just like being a dingus. Hitler, just, you almost killed all my friends again. Right, just... just Completely, like, you explain the plot of the entire show hmm. in the intro theme, and then everything else is just sitcom. Could be like Seinfeld, where yeah. every episode is just kind of like resetting the universe already. Yeah. So it's always Hitler. Hitler's always with this dude. There's a relationship that's set up, but every episode's another problem. It's another solution. Right. What happens if he has a crush on this... Um, this uh, teenager with Jewish descent or something. Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? What Who if knows? he wants to explore different facial hair options? Yeah. And the guy likes the novelty of Hitler so much, he wants him to keep his handlebar mustache. Yeah. What do, what do we do? What if he misses home Hitler? when he travels to this foreign time? Hitler, you old sap. Maybe Hitler, 20-year-old Hitler, is still just as racist as the Hitler we all know and love. Except in 2019's... <laughs> own culture now you could get again there's that political tiptoeing you want to be very careful about that because you could turn off a lot of fans should you choose to go down that route or you could create a massive following that you don't want so all that just to say for better or for worse the options are endless for this idea mine it's you very nice very nice see your German sounds better than mine. Thank you. Thank you. I'm about uh, 75% German in heritage. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. Yeah. I am a great deal of German as well. So mm. I don't... Look at us. Look at us. The the two... Look at us German-blooded Illinoisans. Oh, look at that. Look at that. Just That's look amazing. at it. All right. Well, that does it for Itch to Pitch. And normally, this is the segment of our podcast where we would go to the fan Q&A, where you... Uh, bring up questions and ask us, and we answer them. Unfortunately, due to also the rapid and unexpected nature of this podcast and our mass recordings of episodes. At this point. At this point, um, we don't have any submissions from you guys. But this is the part of the podcast where I personally would just like to say, please, send us some questions. It could be about movies, could be about our podcast, could be about each other. What are our personal individual thoughts on certain developments in the film world or writing techniques, storytelling, tropes? Yeah. Any and all things film, animation, entertainment, send them our way. Anime, you know, you can get James's more educated view on anime and my (laughs) more um, out of the water perception <laughs> kind of from the outside looking in on anime who knows but oh, yeah please send us your thoughts anytime and how can we contact you how can you contact us oh Why? wow thank you for mentioning that <laughs> friend behind the couch uh casually critical podcast at gmail.com you can send the subject as q and a and then mm. just shoot the question or you can dm us at casually critical podcast on instagram and start your message by q a colon and then just shoot your question and we'll look it over and hopefully answer it in the next episode right don't be shy there's no such thing thus far as a stupid question right 
We don't want to spend this entire time spouting our own opinions and talking about our own lives. We want to include you guys in this this uh, creative process. Absolutely. So, please, and, submit. Right. And without further ado, on that note, I'm Daniel, and this is James, and you've been listening to our podcast, Casually Critical. Have a majestical day. Uh-huh.